630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Nurse, beautiful move. To the net. Great shot. Score! And Edmonton completes a dramatic comeback. Riley takes the step. Settles into the pocket. He's got some time. Now he's going deep looking down the sidelines. Oh, what a catch! Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. After the first period, the Penguins lead the Lightning 2-1 early in the second period. Panthers up 2-1 on the Blue Jackets. Devils up 1-0 on the Flyers. And the Islanders and Rangers are tied 2-2. About eight minutes left in the first period in Ottawa. No score between the Senators and the Red Wings. Four games still to come tonight, including the Canadians at the Flames. Montreal coming off that tough loss here in Edmonton two days ago. And the Flames will be the Edmonton Oilers' next opponent Saturday night right here on 6.30, Chad. 6.30 face-off show. The game game will start at 8 o'clock. Thursday night football, important games for two teams trying to stay in the playoff hunt in the NFC. Green Bay at 4-4-1 visits Seattle sitting at 4-5. Hey, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins, the one who was kicked out of the Backstreet Boys for being too good-looking. Little-known trivia right off the top there, Kellen Kennedy. I did not know that. Well, now you, you've already learned something. This show's only two minutes old, and you've already been educated. That's impressive. Uh, You can text 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. You're going to hear from this gentleman uh, later on tonight, but right now he's eating the royal pizza that's been delivered, and I want to give a a big thanks to Sean for stepping up and, and bidding. You, uh, you, I will say, Sean, I, 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 I think you place a little too much importance on inside sports in your life, but that's okay. No, I appreciate it. Uh, Sean is the uh, high bidder from the uh, Edmonton Sun Atco Charity Auction, where for the second year in a row, uh, with the help of Cam Tate, of course, you all know and love Cam, uh, he got me involved in this, and, and there's other, you know, a lot of other Chet personalities who uh, had stuff for bid as well. So basically, Sean bid, and he gets to come in and sit in person and watch a show. And thanks to uh, Royal Pizza, Bill at the Old Strathcona location, because they brought us pizza. So we're having a party. We got some special guests coming up in studio later on tonight. That's going to be uh, a lot of fun. So uh, we'll we'll get to know Sean a little bit uh, as we move along tonight. But I don't want to take him away from his Royal Pizza. Uh, I was like, what kind of pizza do you want? And Sean's combination, bacon, pepperoni, and mushroom. That's actually a pretty good sounding combination. I, I love mushrooms on my pizza. So there you go. We'll uh, we'll talk to Sean, and he may even, uh, if he if he's up for it, we're not going to force him. But if he's up for it, he'll ask our special guest a question or two. Why not? Why not? It's going to be fun. Kenny Stafford's coming in, and uh, well, I'm going to now reveal this to Sean. He did not hear this earlier. Champion curler Mark Kennedy's bringing his Olympic gold medal into studio. So there you go. If you have a cell phone, you might even get a picture with it. <laughs> or a Polaroid. <laughs> Can you go into Halsey's office, see if he still has his Polaroid kicking around? I think so. <laughs> what, I know the, he's got a 110 What, what do you call the old cameras where you have to put your head under the hood? 
Oh, that's like, like they were called cameras, but wasn't there some uh, turn of the century there, breed? Holy smokes, <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sean just said they're cave paintings. That's what Halsey took pictures of. Cave etching. Yes. I think yeah. that's what he just just referenced. Uh, getting it on the Halsey humor right off the top. Hey, no joking around though. For for the Oilers today, they were back at practice. Most of them. More on that in a couple minutes. But no. Toby Reader. You remember he did not finish the game on Tuesday against the Montreal Canadiens, and unfortunately you're not going to see him in a game for a little while. Here's Coach McClellan. Toby's going to be out for uh, probably a month. as an upper body injury and uh, won't be available to us, so uh, it's a blow that... Uh, that hurts us in a number of different areas. Uh, we, he became a very trustworthy player for us, a uh, very solid defensive player, the one that you could put out in any situation. Um, up front, he was creating well, um, you know, while maintaining that, that responsible aspect of the game. So uh, we'll miss his speed, his, his aggressiveness on the forecheck, uh, but in turn, he'll get some rest and we'll get him healthy and get him back. All right, so upper body injury for Toby Reader, and obviously that does hurt the Oilers' speed. You just heard McClellan reference that. It was uh, obviously going to shake up the lines a little bit. I, I, here's the thing. With Nugent Hopkins centering the second line, Chase on was on the right side. Does Lucic get bumped back up there? Remember, he was on the ice for Nugent Hopkins' goal in the third period against the Montreal Canadiens. I would think that's probably what's going to happen. I, I think Luch will get bumped up. Uh, Kajula will stay on the uh, wing with Dreisaitl and McDavid. I, I don't think they're going to mess with the fourth line because it's been doing all right. So that would be Brodziak, Kara, and Cassian. Now on the third line, uh, maybe Cooper Marodi gets in. Ty Ratty probably in that spot with Ryan Strom as well. Patrick Russell has also been called up from the farm. 25-year-old, 11 games with Bakersfield this season. He has nine points. Uh, kind of a late bloomer is Russell. He uh, joined the Oilers for the 16-17 season. I should say he joined the Oilers organization. He has never actually played a game in the NHL. Might get a shot this time around, especially... Uh, with uh, Reader being out for so long, he's going to. And I counted ahead. That's we're looking 13, 14, maybe even 15 games uh, for Reader coming up here. Probably at least a dozen. So that's something to keep in mind. We'll see what they do with the uh, with the lines. And of course, McClellan still being asked about well, what's going on with Leon and Connor. They were together. How long is that going to keep happening? Uh, yeah, there's nothing that's permanent. Um, we forget that uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins was on that line, and um, you know if you're if you're Connor and you look one way and you see Nuge, or you look the other way and you see Leon, uh, that's pretty darn good. Um, you know, so we can move uh, uh, two of them around. In fact, there's teams that put three of them on one line and take their chances that way. So uh, there's a number of different things that we can do. Uh, you know, the move itself the other day paid off. Uh, moving forward, we'll make decisions uh, based on trying to win games. I thought that Nuge had uh, one of his better games the other night back in the middle where he could skate a little bit more. Sometimes you have to be reminded as a centerman that you gotta, you got to move those legs a little bit and, and skate, and Nuge had a tremendous night. All right, Nuge did play very well the other night, uh, and though they did not skate line combinations today. I got to the downtown community rink, and I thought, okay, this is an optional practice because not everybody was on the ice. And McClellan explained, well, not exactly. Didn't make today an optional. I told uh, five players they weren't skating. How come? Uh, just to get them the rest. There's uh, players that have played um, a lot of hockey and that is, 
they're going to play a lot of hockey. We've had some travel. It's the only three-day break we're going to get. And if we err at all, we're going to err on the side of rest rather than fatigue. And obviously those guys are the three forwards, Connor Nuge and, and Leon. They're uh, well over 20 minutes a night. And that's not going to change all year. And then there's um, you know a few of the D-men, uh, also maintenance days for a couple guys that are, are beat up. So... Uh, that's why we took that approach. All right, uh, Larson and Clefbaum not skating either. And as he referenced, no Nugent Hopkins, no McDavid, no Dreisaitl. The guys who play big minutes, he said, take another day off the ice. Uh, they, they obviously were there, probably did a bit of a workout, uh, but I expect a full practice tomorrow. Then it's off to Calgary for the game on Saturday. Who will start in goal in that game? That is up for debate. We will get into that a little bit. Quickly here, a text to 630-630. This person says, not a sports text, but could you let people know that the roads outside of the city are really icy. So we do appreciate that. You can always text 630-630. We're coming back after the break. Please support 630Chad Santa's Anonymous. Visit santasanonymous.ca to find out how. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630Chad. Good to have you tuning in tonight. It is 618 Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Chad, we have two Oilers games for you this weekend. 630 broadcast time on Saturday. Game at 8 as they take on Calgary. Finally getting some games in the Pacific Division. Vegas, big win last night. Not having a great year, though. Vegas is in town on Sunday. 4.30 face-off show, and that game will start at uh, 6 o'clock. We will uh, meet uh, Sean, our special guest in studio, as we uh, move along tonight. just want to keep wrapping up the Oilers' notes today. The goaltending situation has uh, become an interesting one. Pretty, uh, pretty, a uh, lot of topic, a lot of talk around this. Koskinen now 4-1 on the season with a 9.18 save percentage. Talbot 5-7-1 with an 8.95 save percentage. Talbot has lost his last four starts, including getting uh, getting pulled in one of them when they took on the Colorado Avalanche. He's still stuck on 99 wins as an Oiler, still trying to get over the hump. So what are they going to do with the goaltenders? They have back-to-back games, which would suggest both would play. Here's what McClellan had to say. You know, again, we evaluate the, the, uh, the team as a whole, and we'll look at who's giving us uh, their best games and who gives us the best opportunity to win. Uh, we brought Miko here to play, and uh, once he got his footing underneath him, he's obviously played extremely well. And uh, there's nothing better for a team than when both goalies are going. There's only uh, there's only one spot for a goaltender. He two can't get in the crease, and um, you know in that situation you've got to make a decision on one or the other. Uh, but they're both important. Uh, they're both going to play games as we go forward, and uh, that's how it is. Not only for our team, but for others. Cam Talbot was exceptional two years ago. He almost made one of the three finalists for Vesna Trophy. Last year, he didn't really get it going until the final quarter of the season. I know we had Wayne Gretzky on the first face-off show we did from Studio 99. He thought Talbot was hampered maybe more than we thought by a bit of a chest muscle injury that he had. Uh, he was, I thought, pretty vital to helping the Oilers bounce back after that 0-2 start. Since then, he hasn't been as good. I mean, uh, 
Koskinen went in in Nashville, won the game. Talbot had a really good road game in Chicago where they won in overtime, and he hasn't been as sharp since then. And I know Rob and I have talked about it. It's not like either guy in the games the Oilers have lost have been letting in bad goals, but they haven't been making as many saves as the guy at the other end. Now, quite frankly, and you know, I would say at least twice on that Oilers four-game road trip, they were significantly outplayed in all areas, and I'm not sure if they would have had to have exceptional goaltending to, to save them. But I still stick with that they are, are going to need both guys and both guys to be steady and, and, and keep them in games. I don't think Cam Talbot, I know I've been getting trade suggestions from Cam Tal, about Cam Talbot, and I'm just thinking, hold the phone, everybody. You know, <laughs> I mean, at, six weeks ago, we didn't think Miko Koskinen could stop a single puck, let alone win a single game let alone win four, let alone get a shutout. I mean, he his first two preseason starts especially, he, he looked like he had never played goal before. So I think to all of a sudden say, well, Costin's the guy. Yeah, he's got four wins. Let's get rid of Talbot. I, I'm not there yet. But I do think Costin has played better lately. I think he's made some saves early in games that have helped. Key save shorthanded against Montreal, shorthanded breakaway by Montreal on Tuesday. So he's making the big saves, making them at big times. And I would think Koskinen gets the next game in Calgary because he's coming off a win where he was very steady and probably gets rewarded with the second start in a row because we've seen that happen before. I suppose the flip side is you could go with Talbot in Calgary. He's had success against that team. And, you know, maybe at home it's better to put Koskinen in because I, I, I think maybe some of you are holding your breath a little bit when, when Talbot has, uh, has been in. But they will split this weekend, very likely, barring uh, some exceptional circumstance, and, and both guys are important. I, I don't think the Oilers are in any way in, in a luxurious enough situation to, to trade a goaltender, to, to trade Cam Talbot just because Koskinen's done well. Koskinen has done better than I thought he could when I saw him in the preseason, and, and that's great. And you know what? If he grabs it for a while and plays two-thirds, 70% of the time, great. Great, because often when Talbot has not been in the net in recent years, it's simply been because they finally had to give him a rest and let's throw somebody else in and hope. And uh, Talbot commenting on Koskinen doing well. I've always had, I mean, some good goalies here and it's always been a good competition. And, you know, it's great to see Miko come in and, and get some big wins for the team when, uh, you know, my game's not, um, you know, where I want it to be right now. So it um, gives me some time to, to work on my game and come out early a bit in practice and be ready for the next time I get in there. But it's nice to see him get some wins too. Just kind of work through different movement patterns and stuff like that, just focusing on my tracking and getting, um, you know, reads and uh, rebound control back to get back to normal. All right, and we have seen Talbot. I, I do think he has improved as seasons have gone on. His first season in Edmonton especially, I remember Anders Nielsen was here. Talbot didn't look that great at times early in the season. Against Calgary, he led in that game-winning goal in a game from behind the net with nine seconds left. But mid-December, he really got it going. Hopefully it doesn't take that long this time around. Uh, you know, even last year, it was much later in the season, but he was better down the stretch than, than he was earlier. He will keep working. And I know from talking uh, to Talbot and especially talking to past and present teammates, no one doubts his work ethic. Hopefully it pays off in terms of performance. But this is a really different situation for the Oilers than they've been in. And I, by no means do I think it's a bad one. And by no means do I call it a goaltending controversy. 
because I think they both understand it. They've been goaltenders all their lives. They know how it works. There's only one guy who can play. And uh, I think it's good that Koskinen has stepped up and is excelling after how shaky he looked in the preseason. Uh, Don texting in, he says, uh, Reed, just curious, do salaries change when people are called up from the farm? Does it count against the cap? Yes, it does. Now, but you also can put a player on injured reserve, so then his salary wouldn't count against the cap for that time being. I don't think they formally put Reader on injured reserve, but I would think that they would at some point. Norm in a combine. Text again, he says, Reed Talbot is your starter, hands down. Number 19 is doing what a backup does, comes in and helps when needed. The only reason this is even an issue is because of the money. That is from Norm in a combine. Well, fair point. I mean, Costin's getting $2.5 million. He's on a one-year deal. Talbot's in the last year of a three-year contract that pays him over $4 million per season. And uh, yes, if Costin wasn't making so much money, maybe you, you wouldn't be thinking about him playing a little bit more. I, I mean, here's the thing. I, I mean, obviously, I know you you don't want to talk too much about the future, and I'm with you. I, I think the focus has to be on this season. I, I think it's quite important for a lot of people that this is a playoff season for the Oilers. I think it can be. There's a lot of work to be done. But these goaltenders are playing to help the team win this year. They're playing to play as much as they can this year. And by extension, they're playing for good contracts next year, whether it's here or somewhere else. And I, I would think if we get into February, March, and one guy has really grabbed the other, the number one job, he will be the one getting the extension. And it'll be the other guy who goes to free agency and, and is a free agent on July 1st. That's another story, obviously, for further down the road, but it is something to keep in the back of your mind for sure. All right, we're coming up to the 6.30 news. Very interesting what the CFL did, and we've seen Commissioner Randy Ambrosi in his short tenure already prove that he doesn't want to wait. He wants to be proactive. If he can try something, he's going to try it. He did it last season, changing the challenge rule midseason. Well, now for the division finals, they're adding another on-field official who is specifically going to watch for high hits to the quarterback and nothing else. We'll discuss when we get back. Inside Sports on 630 Chat. Please support 630Chad Santa's Anonymous. Visit santasanonymous.ca to find out how. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630Chad. Hey, a little Def Leppard coming back from break, which is nice. I, I just love you guys. Trucker Dave says, Reed, not sure if you are aware of a Def Leppard album coming up. It's a best of with remastered songs. I'm fully aware. You can add it on Apple Music before it's actually available. So you've done that already? Yes. Actually, maybe you can already listen to it. I forgot to go back and check. Anyway. Quickly here, check the scoreboard before we get to our guest. Lightning now up 4-3 on the Penguins in the second period. Also in the second, Devils leading the Flyers 1-zip. Islanders up 4-3 on the Rangers. Panthers and Blue Jackets 3-3. After the first, Senators up 1-0 on the Red Wings in the first period. Wild up 2-0 on the Canucks. Thursday night football. Early, uh, Packers already up 7-0 on the Seahawks. We'll keep you updated on that one as we move along. Well, uh, the Canadian football division finals are coming up on the weekend, and they're going to add an extra official to the field for the rest of the playoffs specifically to watch for any blows delivered to the head or neck of a quarterback. Of course, Brandon Bridge from the Riders 
was hit late in the fourth quarter of the West semifinal loss to Winnipeg. Uh, Jackson Jeffcoat has now been fined for that play. So the, if this official sees an illegal blow to the head that is not already flagged, he will advise the head referee who can then give a penalty for roughing the passer. And get this, this extra official will have no other responsibilities. He can't suggest or call anything else. He is on the field only to watch for high hits on the quarterback. You can let me know what you think by texting 630-630, and we will get the opinion of a former CFL quarterback, a pretty darn good one, and a former Edmonton Eskimo as well. I'm pleased to welcome Kerry Joseph back to the 630 Chet Airwaves. Kerry, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How you doing? I'm doing great. I appreciate you uh, being available tonight. Uh, Dave and Morley say hi. Obviously, uh, they, they covered your career when you were playing for the Eskimos, so they were happy you were coming on tonight. Before we get into some of this, uh, you, some of your reaction to the high hits, let people know what you're up to these days, Kerry. Well, I'm still coaching back at McNeese State University uh, in Lake Charles, Louisiana. It's my uh, the university I played at uh, in 92 to 95, so... This is uh, my third year there. I coached uh, receivers for my first two, and this year I had a chance to uh, to move to my to my home spot at coaching the quarterbacks. Great stuff. Was this was coaching always something you were thinking about doing, even when you were playing, or when did that decision come about for you? Uh, it's something I thought about in the latter days of my uh, playing careers. Part of my last four or five years, I uh, really started, you know, really thinking about you know post football uh, desires and. Uh, I had my wife. She told me that she felt I was something I was called to do because she seen me around the youth, uh, you know, doing camps with high school kids. And she said, you, you're in your element when you're coaching. And uh, I looked into it, and I just had a great opportunity and to have a great network of people and, and coaches that's in the profession, whether it be uh, professionally or collegiate. So I wanted to look into it and take advantage of the opportunity. Uh, when you're blessed to play, you know, 17 years of professional football, you know, you have a lot of wisdom and knowledge, and it's all about giving back. What What's it like coaching at the school you played for and seeing, you know, kids who are, you know, a generation or two behind you coming up and wearing that same uniform? You know what? It's awesome. Uh, we have some kids on the, on the team that I actually played with their dads in college. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's pretty it's pretty neat to, uh, to be able to coach their sons and to, you know, to coach them and teach them the passion of the game of football. And, you know, when you're back at your university, it means something to you. It's, uh, you know, you're a product of that university, so you want to see those kids succeed on the field and off the field. You're obviously coaching American college football, 11 men, four downs. <laughs> you played quarterback in the CFL, three downs, 12 men. Can you take any lessons or strategies from the CFL and, and apply them to what you're doing offensively there? Well, you know what? You actually can. Uh, you just what you have to do is actually take some of the concepts that I've learned from coaches throughout my career there, and you just have to kind of put it into U.S. football and take a player out and just kind of make it fit. You know, knowing that you just you minus one guy on the field, so you can actually do a lot of good things with uh, concepts and things that you've learned in the CFL. And then I'm also able to share with the quarterbacks my experience of playing the position. You know, and uh, I make them laugh now. When they throw an interception, I say, guess what? Go back out there and keep throwing the football. My last football game, I threw five, so <laughs> it happens. 
Kerry Joseph joining us on Inside Sports. Well, you had some pretty good years as well, and we're going to talk about those as we move along. But uh, I, I know uh, we, we messaged back and forth uh, quickly today about this idea, and uh, and I read some of the, uh, the Coles notes there from the news today that there's going to be an extra official specifically who will watch for blows delivered to the head or neck of a quarterback. Obviously, uh, the Riders and a lot of fans were upset about the hit on Brandon Bridge last weekend. I mean, in your experience when you were playing the position, Kerry, were, were high hits a problem? Or did you feel they were happening to you as a quarterback a lot, or what was it like? I don't feel it was happening a lot. Uh, I think the biggest thing with that is I understand the safety of the game and trying to protect those guys in the pocket. Um, and I think it's important. So I think, hey, if adding an extra referee, an official to help see and to uh, to make that judgment call, you know, it, it, it'll be good for the game. I think the biggest thing is being consistent, you know, being consistent with uh, all the quarterbacks throughout the league. I think sometimes, uh, you know, you a quarterback that's in the pocket more, he, has, he gets more calls than a guy that might scrambles a little bit more and they say, oh, he was he, he became a runner, so it's not a hit to the head. I think they're going to just have to develop some consistency, and then I think it'll all work. So if bringing that extra guy in that's going to add to that consistency, you know what? I think it'll be good for the game. Do you think defense, I mean, Jeff Coat got, got fined. Uh, I think it works out to about half a game check in the CFL, so you know that'll, that'll hurt him in the wallet a little bit. Do you think there needs to be ejections for high hits, 25-yard penalties instead of 15s? Like, do you think that needs to, to figure in, or, or how do you look at the punishment for the crime? I, I, think, I think 15 is enough. Uh, I think you have to, if a, if a guy comes in and tries to spirit a quarterback and really is deliberately trying to, uh, to take a, a, a head shot at him, I think then you have to look at that kind of like we have to deal with in uh, – in college football here in the States where they call targeting, where that is an automatic ejection. Uh, but they have to be careful with that, too, because on the field you may be able to, you might call, hey, it was targeting, but then you have to be able to go look at the replay and say, okay, well, he did try to get his head out of the way and leave with his shoulder. Uh, but at the same time, it needs to be below the shoulders. It doesn't need to be at his head. I don't think it's a place for football for someone taking a shot at someone's head when he's uh, defenseless. Uh, you know, above the shoulders. Kerry, obviously, you know, you have history as, as a defensive player as well, playing safety, and, and I know sometimes defensive players will say, well, hey, it's a fast game, or hey, he moved at the last minute. What else was I supposed to do? Do you buy any of that? I do buy that. It is a fast game, and, you know, you're taught to, to try to play the game the right way. Uh, and it's tough when you're going to hit a receiver are you going to hit a, a quarterback or a running back? And they see you coming, and their initial reaction is to cringe up to try to, you know, lessen the blow. And by them going down, you already have, you know, going for your target area, and it changes in a second. It's tough. It's tough. Uh, and it just becomes a judgment call on the officials at a high rate of speed. So that's, it's just a tough deal. Uh, and I think just the players have to – just make a conscious effort to, to find that strike zone and uh, and try to hit that strike zone. You know, I was always taught to see what you hit. And if you see what you hit, that means you're not leading with the crown on your helmet and you can find that target area. Uh, and as a defensive player, you know, you, you try to be violent. You try to be physical. And you don't want to let a guy, you know, 
just catch a ball and score. You know, you try to make that play and try to dislodge the ball. And it's, it's tough on both sides of the football. Uh, to me personally, I'd rather a guy hit me in my chest than hit me at my knees because I can, I can bounce back for a guy making a mistake and hit me up high in my head. But then when somebody takes out your knee and the guy has a blown knee, that's tough. You know, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. And I can understand the league is trying to protect uh, on both sides, you know. And I've always said when you go to hit somebody low, the first thing that has to go down is your head. Now you're putting your neck in the jeopardy. So it, it's, it's a violent game that we choose to play. Kerry Joseph joining us on Inside Sports. He's uh, talking about the uh, official being added for CFL games this weekend. He will watch specifically for high hits on a quarterback. And, of course, Kerry, now it is alma mater as a coach, McNeese State, and uh, a very accomplished CFL player as well. You know, you were an Ottawa renegade, and uh, you had some pretty exciting seasons there. When the CFL went back to uh, Ottawa, and you know the Red Blacks went in, and they eventually they eventually won a Great Cup, and they got a chance to be back in this year. Is there uh, is there any connection to our nation's capital still because of your time there, or do you sort of feel you've moved on from that? No, I still have a connection there. Uh, you know what, Ottawa was my first stop, and I would always uh, feel feel that's home for me also. And you know, the three years that I spent there with the Renegades was great. Uh, you, you develop a lot of friends throughout the city and throughout the community. So that is, that is always going to be uh, a place that's special to me. And then, you know, having a friend of mine and Deontay Spencer playing there in Ottawa and having success at the receiver spot, being from the same hometown. Being a young man, I actually see, I see him grow up. You know, I saw him grow up. He came to Magnets. He played at the, he played at the same university. So, you know, I made sure I follow the uh, the Red Blacks to, to see what he's doing and just to see the success of the organization. And it's good for the city. I think it's good for the league. Uh, and it's, it's just good for the country to see uh, that Ottawa is back and having success. Kerry, uh, you know, the, the year for, for you that I think, you know, really stands out, if I had to highlight one, I don't think I'm going off the map here. You uh, were the best player in the league, the MOP in 2007. You were the quarterback of the Grey Cup champion, Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Uh, I, I mean, you, when you look back on that season, and, and I kind of want to frame this just about playing in Regina and playing in Saskatchewan. I got buddies who are Rough Riders fans, and depending on how things went this year, Chris Jones was either a genius or an idiot. <laughs> you know, it's uh, you know, and I you know, I, I I talk to fans here with you were like that with the Oilers and the Eskimos, but I mean, the Riders have have so much passion. Just what was it like playing there, and specifically getting to win a championship there? It was great. You know, when you have a community uh, and a fan base that loves the game of football, love their players, uh, you want to go out there and you're just not playing for your team and your teammates. You're playing for that city, that province. And it was just great to play there and to have the success that we was able to have. And I was, I'm, I'm, it, it's, it's just a great memory for me to be able to help bring another championship to that province and to that city. And, uh, you know, I'd say Ottawa is a special place for me. You know, you know, Saskatchewan was the icing on the cake uh, because I was able to share and to bring a championship there to that city. And uh, I know I can always go back there and, you know, and, and I have a lot of friends there in the community and, and still within the organization. So it, it was great. And I'm, a, I'm a proud to say 
hey, my last game was with the Riders. Well, that's right. You, you came back at the end of your career, which was pretty cool. I got to ask you, though, because you you didn't get to be a Rider right after you won the Great Cup. I mean, it's still one of the uh, big controversial moves. Uh, I think it was Eric Tillman that traded you to Toronto in March of 2008, just three, four months after you'd won the Great Cup. I mean, at the time, was that a head-scratcher to you where you're like, wait a minute, how do you trade the MOP and the and the winning quarterback? What was that trade like for you? That was It was a head-scratcher for me. Uh, you know, I think that, uh, for, for me personally, I think that was a big turning point in my career because I think uh, if I come back in 2008 with the team that we had, I, th- I think we had a chance to repeat. And, and, and I wanted to be in Saskatchewan because, you know, I was, I was doing a lot of good things with kids sports and, uh, and in the community. And so I was involved uh, outside of the football uh, world. And it was just, it was a, it was a bitter pill to swallow for me because in this business and in the professional football, you always taught that it's a production business. And when you produce, you expect people to take care of you uh, and take care of your family. And I was able to produce for my team and for that city and the organization. And, you know, when you, you sometimes you feel like you've, you've been betrayed, but you also learn too that life is not fair and, I take that lesson, and I use that lesson with my young men now because you hear these kids and these younger generation of kids and young men, well, you're not being fair. And I share that with them, that sometimes life is not fair, but you have to roll your sleeves up and you got to continue to go to work. Well said, Kerry. Man, it was great catching up with you. Loved your insight. Thanks for sharing some memories with us. And I think we got you here getting ready for a game. Doesn't McNeese State play in a couple days? Yes, we actually play on Saturday. Uh, We've had a a tough stretch after our bye week. We've actually dropped three of our last four. Uh, We was in the league for our conference title, and uh, we lost the last two weeks. And so we we let that slip away from us. And so now we're going to actually just close out our season on Saturday and, uh, you know, take a little break over the holidays and prepare for uh, for 2019. Okay. Well, Kerry, I, I hope we can talk again down the road. Uh, it, it's really great to catch up with you. I, I know Eskimos fans and CFL fans enjoyed your tenure in the league, and I'm really glad to hear that you're enjoying coaching so much, man. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you guys for having me on. It's always a joy. That is Kerry Joseph checking in from McNeese State, where he is uh, working with the quarterbacks, working with the offense, and uh, obviously played for the Eskimos, the Argos, the Riders, and uh, the Ottawa Renegades, uh, the the team between the Rough Riders and the Red Blacks. I guess that's how they're going to be remembered. Great uh, insight onto the high hits on quarterbacks. He uh, sympathizes with defensive players who say it's a fast game, Sometimes the quarterback moves at the last minute. You're not necessarily trying to hit him high. He says, good for having this extra official on the field. But he also says, you know what? It's it's a 15-yard penalty. To some extent, you have to accept it's a it's a violent game. There, there might be fouls. Those fouls have to be punished. But he didn't seem to think there should be ejections or or uh, anything more extreme than what they have. Jeff Coat did get fined, but obviously, uh, you know, that was not something that could be applied during the game. Your thoughts are welcome at 630-630-780-496-0063 is the phone number. I would like you to call in now if you would like to win two tickets to next Sunday's Grey Cup. You will have to answer a Grey Cup-related trivia question live on air.
please support 630 Chad Santa's Anonymous. Visit santasanonymous.ca to find out how. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Text to 630-630 says, I don't think the CFL needs another official on the field. They already have a replay official who could buzz if he saw something that would have solved the problem in the Bomber game. Not that it would have, pardon me, changed the outcome given how much time is uh, left. If If you heard me just burp on the radio, I did. And I don't care because we're eating Royal Pizza and having pop. And thank you to Royal Pizza for delivering. And Sean is in studio. Well, I do care. I, I apologize. But some nights you're having a bit of a party. It's good pizza. Delicious pizza. I've been wolfing it down during the commercials. Sean is in studio uh, because of the Atco Edmonton Sun Charity Auction. He was the highest bidder on the Inside Sports Experience. And we're still going to get you on air, Sean. But i got to give away some great cup tickets. So here's how this works. And there's still a couple slots open, 780-496-0063, because if the first couple people get it wrong, we'll keep going down the line. I'm going to say the trivia question. I will then bring the first caller on, who will have five seconds to answer it. If he or she is incorrect, I will not repeat the question. I will move on to the next caller and so on. All right? Here we go. And obviously the theme is Grey Cups in Edmonton. Who was the most outstanding player of the 1997 Grey Cup in Edmonton? Who was the most outstanding player of the 97 Grey Cup in Edmonton? Grant, you're up first. Uh, How about Dieter Brock? Incorrect. Ken, go ahead. Ken, go ahead. Nothing from Ken. Okay. So we'll keep going. Mike, do you know? Uh, oh, sh- oh, Hurry. I want to say Doug Flutie. You said Doug Flutie with point no zero five seconds again. left. You got it, buddy. That was such a fluke. Uh, I remember watching the game. It was like snowing like it is tonight, wasn't it? Uh, it was cold for that one. Yeah, I think there was some snow, and uh, Toronto absolutely pounded Saskatchewan, and Flutie passed for 350 oh yards. Wow. Now, is your favorite CFL team still in the playoffs? No. Is it the Eskimos? Yeah, of course. All right. Well, you will see two <laughs> other teams play, uh, two tickets to the Grey Cup next Sunday. Excellent oh, awesome. job getting that one. The person who said Dieter Brock... That was a great guess because in 84, it was Hamilton and Winnipeg in the Grey Cup. And I think Brock was still playing for Hamilton, wasn't he? But Hamilton lost that game to Winnipeg. But anyway, that was that was a decent guess. Mike, so that, sta- was your, that, was, that was your question from the other night, though, to win the cup, cup tickets, right? That was yesterday, yes. The first, the, oh, yesterday. Yeah, yeah first, yesterday was the Edmonton. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, Mike, stay on the line, okay? Yeah, thanks, buddy. All right, Mike, get some. Uh, we may have a couple more tickets at some point. I'm going to rifle through Halsey's desk and see if I can find any. Hey, Kenny Stafford in studio next. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.